Welcome back to Via the Source, where you can get news about the entire NFL and, of course, the Miami Dolphins. Fins up. Here's Steven, your host. What's up, guys? Today's date is September 20th. I'm Steven Masso. As always, you're listening to Via the Source. Now, in today's episode, we're going to be going over the Dolphins' loss to the Buffalo Bills. So, you already know this isn't necessarily going to be the most positive episode, and that's why I kind of want to issue a little bit of a disclaimer. You've probably seen beat writers mention this before on Twitter, that uh, the kind of mindset that a lot of Dolphin fans are taking right now, I think, is being entirely too sensitive, and they're almost trying to control the narrative where it's, you can only say positive things if you critique the team, whether it's a valid concern or not. It means that you hate the team, that you don't like them anymore, and that's not really the case. And on this podcast, I pride myself on trying to be objective. As you guys probably know, I went to school with the idea in mind to become a sports journalist, and with that, it's kind of been instilled in me that you have to take this kind of unbiased approach, and I kind of pride myself in being able to do that. So keep that all in mind. But first, to begin here, there is a law. It's called Murphy's Law that states whatever can go wrong will go wrong, and there's no simpler way to describe this past Sunday's game than just by saying that. The Dolphins lost to the Buffalo Bills by a score of 35-0 to on Sunday. The Dolphins fall to 1-1 one one with the loss, and the Bills move up to 1-1 one one themselves. So, there were so many elements of the team that were ugly in this game, but the most important headline right now that we have to get off our chest is talking about the quarterback position. On the second drive, Tua Tungavailoa took a massive hit while throwing a pass. He was in visible pain. He was wobbling as he walked off. He was kind of grimacing as he touched his uh, rib cage area. He was then carted to the locker room and he wasn't seen again after that. Now, it was later reported that he sustained a rib injury. NFL's Tom Pelissero said that Tua had x-rays that came back negative for a fracture, but he will have an MRI today to determine if there is cartilage damage. So, there is this doctor on YouTube. His name is Brian Suter. I highly recommend uh, checking him out. I'm always retweeting him. He's known for these injury analysis type of videos on YouTube. He had one on Tua and he says that even though the x-rays are negative, that may not tell quite the whole story. He said, quote, know that x-rays are pretty worthless tests for non-displaced rib fractures. You get them to look for displaced, which are out of alignment fractures and other chest trauma like a collapsed lung. The physical exam and the ultrasound, if you have it, are the best. So we can't say 100% that there are no rib fractures with just the x-rays. He also uh, went on to say that there is a potential here for organ damage given that the spleen and the kidney are also in that area. So all of that I imagine will be uh, coming out in reports whether that's ruled out or not in the following day or two. So again, first and foremost, hopefully Tua's okay wishing a speedy recovery and that's nothing serious. But Again, to get into this game, we'll take a closer look. After that, Jacoby Brissett took over for Tua, and he did not have much success either. And you can tell, of course, by the score. Brissett threw a terrible interception on a floater that was easily picked off. And outside of that, he just played kind of poorly. But again, it's very, very, very tough to place all the blame on him for this one. There have been very few instances in my time as a Dolphins fan where I can point to where an offensive line 
line looked so inept as they did this past Sunday. Many have been critical about this unit, but after this game, it's clear that this might be one of the worst, if not the worst, offensive lines right now in the entire NFL. Tua was decimated, being sacked twice by defensive backs before uh, that massive blow that caused him to leave the game. And then Brissett was sacked four times after that, uh, and he was hit countless times. It seems like anytime he was trying to even get a throw off, he was getting yanked down by his side and just basically slinging it. So tackle Austin Jackson is completely lost right now. He is on just a completely different planet. The amount of times that the quarterback is being hit while he is just standing there looking clueless is infuriating to see. A first round pick, untapped talent, raw talent, whatever you want to say, none of that matters right now. He is a liability to the health of whoever is at the quarterback position and he shouldn't be on the field if he's playing like this. Just as simple as that. The same thing could be said about Jesse Davis who ended up leaving the game with an injury himself, but he was playing extremely poorly, at times not even getting a hand on the guys who were coming in on the blitz. So that isn't to say that they were the only ones struggling here. Solomon Kinley also had one of his worst performances. Robert Hunt didn't look great either. Just across the board, the offensive line looked terrible in this game. Now, I wish I could say that that's where the struggles for the offense ended, but the Dolphins receivers here didn't really offer much help either. It was another outing with little to no separation from this unit entirely. And on top of that, there was just a ridiculous amount of drops and mistakes from the receivers here. Devontae Parker appeared to make an incredible leaping touchdown grab, something that would have got the Dolphins, uh, you know, at least a semblance of momentum in their favor, only for it to fall right through his hands. And then Albert Wilson dropped an easy first down in the red zone, and then later dropped another pass in the red zone, albeit it was a little bit behind him, but still, very catchable balls. Jalen Waddle dropped an easy first down in the flats and then later muffed a punt that was recovered by Buffalo. And then I think one of the more infuriating plays from this entire outing was Jakeem Grant. He caught a pass near the Bills five yard line and then fumbled it there. On the Dolphins' final drive, while in Bills' territory, Savan Ahmed dropped what would be a first down catch on fourth down, and this put the nail in the coffin and eliminated any chance for Miami to get a score in this game. It was, frankly, a fitting end to this game, and just an uncharacteristic amount of drops from this unit. So, if there was any glimmer of positivity in the receiving game, it was that Jalen Waddle had a fairly productive outing in this game. He led the team in yards. He picked up 48 yards on six catches. You were able to see that speed and his ability on those little bubble screens to turn, you know, uh, nothing into something. So, that was good to see. But again, it's hard to really say that there was any sort of great performances when you have a zero on the scoreboard. So, given the score and the lack of success at the offensive line, it shouldn't really be shocking that the running game was not really a focus for Miami in this one. Gaskin and Malcolm Brown each had five carries. Gaskin had 25 yards and Brown added 21. Outside of an 18-yard run, though, by Miles Gaskin, this whole element from the Dolphins was basically shut down here. Now, offensively, there were some more mistakes. The Dolphins had the ball in field goal range. They were down by 14. It was a fourth-in-two situation, and instead of taking the points there, they elected to instead run the ball with Malcolm Brown, who was stuffed a yard short of getting a first down. So that one really did come back to bite him. We saw the Dolphins end up going for it quite a lot on fourth down, and they had no success. They ended up
up going 0 for 4 on fourth downs in this game. Now, as for the defensive side of the ball, defensively, the Dolphins got off to what was a horrible start. Last week, the Dolphins gave up that 35-yard run to Damian Harris on the Patriots' first play. And then this week, Bills running back Devin Singletary took a 46-yard run to the house on the Bills' second play offensively for them. So after that, the ensuing drive wasn't much better as Josh Allen found Emmanuel Sanders for a big gain of 35. That set up a touchdown pass to Stephon Diggs and put the Dolphins in quite a bit of a hole. So this little uh, momentary lapse from the defense and that combined with Tua's injury and just the overall cluelessness offensively, it was clear that all the momentum in the world was now in Buffalo's favor. However, from a defensive standpoint though, Miami was able to find quite a bit of a rhythm here. In typical fashion, they were able to create turnovers, which began with a forced fumble by Jerome Baker, uh, which was recovered by rookie Javon Holland. And after forcing a three and out right after that, cornerback uh, Xavier Howard was able to lurk in front of Stephon Diggs and make his first interception of the season. So of course that was good. It was just a shame that Miami wasn't able to capitalize on either of those opportunities. But despite the massive margin in the score differential, the Bills offense wasn't really clicking in the same way they were last year. Allen, frankly, I thought was struggling. He went 17 for 33, 179 yards. He had two touchdowns and that one interception. The pressure on him was inconsistent. It seemed like in the beginning of the game, he had all the time in the world to make a throw. But then Emmanuel Ogba was able to get to Allen and record his first sack of the season. But aside from that, just an overall inconsistent day, I thought, from the defensive front for Miami. The secondary had their good moments such as that interception by Xavier Howard. Uh, Byron Jones had this leaping deflection that prevented a touchdown, kind of reminded me of Jalen Mills' play last week against Miami. And then safety Brandon Jones led the team in tackles, and I thought he was all over the field, playing extremely aggressive. You could see him kind of getting frustrated, trying to go for strips, but at the same time, there was some bad moments too. Byron Jones was beat big on that reception for 35 yards by Sanders. Xavier Howard was mossed by Stephon Diggs on a 41-yard reception and then Brandon Jones had a costly penalty shoving Josh Allen while he was already out of bounds so there were some good moments defensively as well as some bad ones uh, just overall now the linebacker group here for Miami I thought did a pretty poor job at stopping the run Singletary had 82 yards on 13 carries but the more de demoralizing runs I thought came by Zach Moss Moss had only 26 yards but he had two touchdowns in this game on his first touchdown he ran to the outside and he had a wall of Miami defenders between him and the end zone. After bouncing around and breaking tackles, somehow Moss was in the end zone when that play ended. On the second touchdown, Alandon Roberts blew up the play like we've seen him do it in the past, laying a massive hit on Zach Moss, but Moss kept his balance and dove into the end zone, and then Alandon Roberts ended up being hurt on the play. Just another play that perfectly symbolized this game. Just overall completely demoralizing. So, to get into my takeaways here from this game, the first one here is questioning the Dolphins' scouting and decision-making, to me, I think is completely valid after this game. Before this game began, we saw the Dolphins' 2020 first-round pick Noah Igbenogany listed as a healthy scratch for the second game in a row. Then, on top of that, you have fellow 2020 first-round pick offensive tackle Austin Jackson have one of the worst offensive line performances in recent memory. Frankly, it would have been better if Jackson had been a healthy scratch from this game as well. The Dolphins elected not to sign any significant additions to this unit. Then they
they traded Eric Flowers for essentially nothing. If you look at some of the other position groups, Jakeem Grant is continuously used on offense with typically more negatives than positives. Fans have been recognizing this for years, yet they are continuously electing to use him as a wide receiver instead of having a guy like Kirk Merritt on the team who could contribute more to this team offensively. There was an opportunity for the Dolphins to take a field goal on that fourth and two. They elected to go for it. There was another opportunity. They were on the Buffalo 38-yard line. You have Jason Sanders, the best kicker. You're down by 14. Might as well tell him to let it rip and go for the points. And they elected to punt it in that situation. I just don't understand the decision-making overall. I think right now there is a lot of questions that need to be answered. The offense is struggling. You're looking at this from a fan perspective. You have the Dolphins in Brian Flores' tenure going through Chad O'Shea, then Chan Gailey. Now you're in a system with a dual offensive coordinator uh, implemented, and it's not necessarily working out good. I would completely understand, and I think it's completely valid for fans to be frustrated, to be concerned. All of that, to me, seems warranted, right? So my next takeaway here is that Tua dropped back seven times in this game, and I say that because I see a lot of people kind of including him as part of uh, the people who perform poorly. At the end of the day, I personally can't make any sort of big conclusion based off Tua's performance in this game, especially when he was out there for one drive where he was sacked by two defenders who were untouched, and then the next drive he came out there, he was knocked out of the game. I think it's kind of misguided to kind of place any sort of blame or any sort of big value on his performance in this game. The other element people are kind of looking at it is, okay, is he injury prone? Is, uh, you know, is his durability a issue now? Because, of course, he dealt with those injuries in college pretty frequently. Of course, that major hip injury. And frankly, I think it's a very hard topic to talk about. Because if you've been listening to my podcast for a few years, you know that I don't necessarily love the injury label because this is a collision sport. Guys are going to get hurt at the end of the day. So there's either two ways I look at it. If somebody's had an injury that puts them in a position where they have a higher likelihood of re-aggravating it, okay, I would say he's injury prone. So from the hip element, maybe that could be the case. But in this instance, if it's a injury to his rib. I don't know if that's necessarily a durability issue as much as it's just kind of bad luck. Unless you're suggesting that Tua is, you know, uh, physiologically or biologically predisposed, that he has weaker bones, it would make him more likely to get injured. But at the end of the day, I don't know if that's necessarily the case. And I don't know if you can prove that. Then the other way I would look at it is, okay, if a guy plays like Cam Newton, where they're, you know, embracing contact, if there's somebody who absolutely refuses to slide, then yeah, of course, they're more prone to an injury. But I think at the end of the day, it kind of reminds me of that Tony Romo situation where Tony Romo had been battling injuries. He got hit on one play, the one where Dak took over for him, where he got kind of folded in half, sustained that lower back injury, and everyone was quick to say, yeah, he's injury prone because it just happened to fall that way. And I don't think that's the case. I think that's just kind of the nature of this sport. And I remember I had a chance to talk to Devontae Parker uh, back in 2019. And I asked him, like, what do you think about people giving you that injury-prone label? And he says, these people don't know what it's like to be injured. They don't play this 
sport. They don't know what it's like to get hit like this, basically. And I understand that to an extent, man. Like, you know, if I roll my ankle at the gym, I'm going to use it as an excuse. I'm done for the week. I can't even imagine what it's like getting hit by somebody near 300 pounds that they're when they're traveling near 20 miles an hour. That's just a completely different thing. And I think people are way too, uh, you know, loosely using that term injury prone or talking about his durability. Now, the next thing we're going to talk about here is not necessarily any takeaways, but just kind of discussion points that have been thrown around on social media. The first thing here is, well, what's the Dolphins quarterback situation going to look like? I mean, there's the potential that Tua has to miss time. If he has some sort of crack rib, he's probably looking at at least a few weeks, I, I would think, you know, and especially with the state of the offensive line, I don't think they're necessarily going to be eager to throw him back in that situation if he's, uh, you know, at risk of injuring himself even more so. So Jacoby Brissett, okay, they have Reed Sinet back there, but even Jacoby Brissett was getting pretty banged up. Should the Dolphins be looking at bringing in another quarterback. Of course, the first thing that uh, came to people's mind is, okay, do they trade for Deshaun Watson now? You know, the price for Watson's gone up. All that stuff. There were reports after the game just kind of reiterating the same points that the Dolphins were interested, but there's not going to be any sort of deals made until they can get security in that trade in terms of the legal aspect. They're not going to make a trade until there's some sort of conditional element that there aren't they're not caught on the line for trading away picks and then Deshaun Watson ends up unable to play. So until that gets sorted out, I don't know if this is going to happen. The report also says that they're expecting Deshaun Watson to be able to play for 2021, that there isn't going to be any sort of suspension until after this season if it were to come. That's just kind of the expectation. The next thing was uh well Cam Newton, you know, Cam Newton was released by the Patriots. He's of course probably one of the more talented free agents available at this point should the Dolphins be interested in looking this way and of course kind of the main fear with bringing in Cam Newton is more so the distraction element I mean the most recent time I saw Cam Newton he was in front of a camera uh, doing a podcast I believe where he was talking about how he was released for being a distraction meanwhile he was wearing a hat that had a hole in it so his hair could stick out through it I mean I mean you can't make this stuff up it's just kind of what Cam Newton brings along with it and lately he hasn't necessarily been playing consistent definitely not at that elite MVP level we once were accustomed to but he is somebody that can take a hit. That's kind of been one of the things. He's a bigger guy. He's basically built like Aaron Donald to some extent. That if you're worried about a guy getting hit a lot, at least from that aspect, Cam Newton would be able to take his fair share of contact and be okay. Uh, other guys here that could be, I guess, in the mix that are free agents are Trace McSorley. So at least you have that element of a guy that could run around and escape and survive for dear life with the offensive line. But at the end of the day, it's hard to envision any quarterback thriving in this situation aside from a guy like Lamar Jackson or Kyler Murray guys who you know have that talent with the legs that they could escape the pocket I can't see any quarterback having success, even Patrick Mahomes with this offensive line. We saw how bad he looked in the Super Bowl, and this offensive line that Miami currently has is several times worse than how the Chiefs offensive line looked in the Super Bowl last year. So that brings up the next topic. Well, is there anything the Dolphins could do to maybe address the offensive line right now? And the offensive line is one of those positions where teams aren't eager to trade away those guys. They need the offensive line help. There aren't 
many teams are saying, yeah, we're we're stacked at the offensive line that we have to give up those guys. They're kind of more of a luxury. So looking around, some guys that I guess could be moved. The first one here is an offensive guard, so it'd be more uh, with the interior from the 49ers, Lakin Tomlinson. Final year of his contract, the 49ers also just drafted another offensive lineman in the second round. So maybe if they're looking at getting some value here before you know he dips, if that's the case, then maybe they could look to trade him. Another guy here is uh, Packers' Lucas Patrick, who's also a guard, also in the final year of his contract. They could potentially look to move him. And then one guy that might be interesting from the standpoint that it seems like the Dolphins have been kind of using this same way at getting another team's trash and turning it into a treasure, or at least trying to. Atlanta Falcons tackle Caleb McGarry, uh, who was a first-round pick in 2019. They actually moved up to get him. They could potentially look that way, but I will warn you if you even look up his name on Twitter, the guy is synonymous with just being a bust at this point in terms of what Falcons fans view him. They hate the guy, and there's been quite a lot of videos of him on the ground, so that might be a lateral move, if anything, but if the Dolphins, if the Dolphins feel like they need that sort of depth, and even that would be an upgrade, maybe they could look this way, but uh, I, there's not a lot left. A Mitchell Schwartz is one guy that's being mentioned pretty heavily. Uh, he was recently featured on a podcast a week ago. Of course, this would be the absolute best option if this could happen, but on that podcast a week ago, he said that he's still recovering, and the recovery has taken longer than expected. They asked him if he considers himself still to be an active player, and he says he does, that he is still just trying to get back into a playing shape. So I don't know if he's necessarily ready and healthy. I imagine there'd have been other teams already reaching out to him if he was healthy. But again, it, no harm in making a call and seeing if that's possible. But I'm not sure if that's even an option. But of course, there's no harm in looking this way. I think really the main thing here is it's a shame the Dolphins didn't address this unit in a better way, in a more grandiose fashion during the offseason where they had an opportunity. You know, you have uh, the skill position guys kind of set might as well, you know, dump some money into the offensive line. They didn't elect to go that route. There were some guys available and they just elected to pass on them. It really is a shame because I can't see the offensive side of the ball as a whole. Again, the passing game, the running game, just no element of it succeeding when the offensive line is playing at this state. And I really think it hurts the whole morale of the team when you're seeing a guy like Jacoby Brissett just getting up over and over and you see your quarterback leave the game with a rib injury. The morale is defeated. I truly don't think the receivers would have been dropping that many passes if the morale wasn't hurt. I don't feel like the defense would have started slipping up at the end of the game if they weren't watching the offense just completely fall apart. I think it's just kind of a domino effect and it all begins with the offensive line. So guys, that is how I'm going to wrap up this episode. As always, if you'd like to follow me on Twitter, you can do so. That is at ShadySteven. If you'd like to follow the podcast account on Twitter, that is at via the source. Feel free to reach out to me with any comments, uh, topics, things you would like for me to discuss in a future episode. But guys, that is how I'm going to wrap it up. Until next time, I'm Steven Masso and this was via the source.